This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I could hear the animals in the surrounding forest. The sounds grew closer as we moved toward the compound on the skinny dirt road. The late afternoon sun created deep shadows in the underbrush, making the animals invisible. I looked up for a moment, watching the tips of the tall pine trees wave in the wind against the blue backdrop of a cloudless sky. Up there, in the treetops, everything seemed so peaceful, so serene. He knows we're here, Williams said from behind me. I nodded, acknowledging his statement. So we better make this quick. Slatton said. The other two members of my team were silent. There was nothing more to be said. I could just see the edge of the compound around a bend in the dirt road down which we were creeping. I knew from aerial footage that it comprised four buildings, two of which were the most likely places for Dr. Lindsay and his cohort to be. The crashing of underbrush and crunching of branches grew louder, coming from both sides of the dirt road. If Overwatch hadn't told me there were animals minutes earlier, I would have thought that a group of humans was closing in on us. I weighed our options. We could make a run for the compound, rushing it and hoping that one of our five-person team could subdue or kill the doctor. Or we could handle the animals first and then concentrate on the compound. It was no choice, really. It was a question of dealing with one threat at a time. Defensive positions. I said. The men fanned out, two on each side of the road. I moved to the middle, from where I could help cover all of them. The crashing of the underbrush came to a crescendo as we stood in our combat stances, weapons ready, safety catches off. Several deer rushed us from the left, and we made quick work of them. Wolves and a couple of raccoons came next from the right, and a few finger twitches put them down. The smaller animals that came next Jumping down from the treetops weren't as easy to dispatch. The squirrels, chipmunks, and two porcupines seemed to rain down on us, scratching the skin under our helmets and around our goggles. We flung them off and stomped on them, trying to ignore their little squeals. Check in, I said, when it seemed like there were no more coming to attack. Everyone okay? Four answers came back to me. All good, only minor injuries. Okay, let's move, I said. We approached the compound with caution. It was clear Dr. Lindsay knew we were here, and my biggest fear was that he would send his cohort of children after us. No movement from the compound, Overwatch said through my earpiece. Copy, I replied, then to my team. Switch to non-lethal rounds now, but if you get a shot at the doctor, use your sidearm and take it. Only if it's a clean shot, you got me? My team answered in the affirmative and I switched out the clip in my MP5 for one with a blue band around it, making sure to expel the round still in the chamber. The last thing we wanted to do was kill any of these kids. Although a bad shot, even with non-lethal rounds, could kill. We had to be careful. Okay, I said when we were all done. You all know what to do, on my mark. I headed over to the bend in the road and took one last look at the compound, still no changes. 
I brought my right hand up and signaled, and the answering crunch of boots on dirt was all the confirmation I needed. Two of my team went right, and the other two went left, while I hung back a bit, waiting for them to get into position. I counted off the time in my head and then cleared my throat. Dr. Lindsay, I called out at the ramshackle compound. Come out with SCP-573, and we won't hurt you. You have my word on that. Nothing from the compound. No sound, no movement. I'm giving you this courtesy because we've known each other for a long time, Doctor. I called. And I know this isn't you. So, please, come on out. The faint sound of a single wind instrument floated on the gentle breeze. Shit, I said. Go, go, go! I rushed toward the main door of the biggest wooden building in the compound, knowing that my four team members were rushing other access points on the two buildings. When I was about 15 feet from the door, it shot open, revealing a half dozen dirty prepubescent children dressed only in their underwear. They ran at me, bare feet scrambling for grip on the ground in their frantic rush to attack me. Over their strange, high-pitched snarls, I could still hear the music. I popped off a couple of shots, hitting two of the children with rubber bullets, knocking them off their feet. The rest of them fanned out, instinctively making themselves harder targets. I swept right, hitting two more. But as I was sweeping left, the first two children I'd knocked down were already back on their feet, rushing at me. One boy jumped on me, attacking me like a monkey. He bit at my right arm, which kept me from firing, and allowed the other attackers to close in. I punched him with my left, sending him to the ground. I knew that if I didn't move, they would tear me apart, so I ran. I made it through the door to the compound before the children could catch up to me, shutting it and locking it behind me. The music was louder now, coming from one of the small back rooms. The main room was dirty, with old empty food cans, bottles of dirty water, and small, nest-like beds of tattered clothing where the children had no doubt been sleeping. I let my MP5 hang from its strap, and I pulled out my sidearm a pistol loaded with 15 9mm rounds. I followed the sound of the music to a closed door. Behind me, the children were banging on the front door and snarling, helping to mask the sound of my approach. I positioned myself in front of the interior door with enough room that I could kick at it. It looked flimsy, and I didn't think it would take more than one kick to break it in. Taking a deep breath, I readied myself. Suddenly, the music stopped. Shit. I kicked the door, splintering the locking mechanism and sending the door crashing against the wall. It bounced back into my shoulder as I stepped into the room, leading with my pistol. A rather large boy launched himself at me from the right, knocking me down and sending my pistol skidding across the dirty floor. I looked up to see Dr. Lindsay jumping out a window at the back of the room, a yellow-white flute in his right hand. I elbowed the boy in the face and got up, jumping headfirst out the window to roll on the ground. As I got to my feet, I could see Dr. Lindsay dodging through the woods some 20 yards distant. I raised my MP5 as I ran after him, firing a few rounds. I quickly gave it up, tossing the weapon aside, knowing the rubber bullets wouldn't do much at this range. It would only serve to be an encumbrance as I ran after the doctor. Lindsay is running southwest through the woods, said over the radio. I'm in pursuit, he has the object. Copy, Overwatch said in my ear. The children are all running that way, sir, William said. They killed Slatten, he said, his voice devoid of emotion. Son of a bitch, I said, running harder. I could hear the children behind me, crashing through the underbrush and snapping twigs with their bare feet. 
I turned to look over my shoulder, spotting a few of the half-naked kids running after me, their somehow demonic eyes fixed on me and me alone. My head was only turned for a second, but when I looked forward again, I saw a root sticking out of the ground. I lifted my foot to clear it, but I was moving too fast. My toe caught on it, and I went down. Stupid, I said, getting my feet under me again, hearing the children gaining on me. I could see a flash of color between the trees far ahead. The doctor had gotten further away, thanks to my little spill. My legs pumped as I dodged through the woods after him, my thoughts moving as fast as my legs while I tried to think of a way to slow the man down. I kept my eyes on him, noticing that he was coming to a rather crowded section of forest where the undergrowth was especially thick. I cried out as loud as I could, screaming like I was being attacked. Lindsay glanced over his shoulder, his eyes going wide when he saw that I was still coming after him. I allowed myself a smile as he turned his back and smacked face first into a branch. He managed to get back to his feet just as I was closing on him. I jumped off a fallen log and crashed into him, hearing his breath leave his lungs as I landed on top of him. He clutched the yellow-white flute in his right hand, holding fast to it as I tried to yank it out. I could still hear the children coming. They were close. I didn't have much time. I grabbed a nearby rock and smashed it down on Lindsay's hand. He screamed and let the instrument go. I snatched it up and stepped back from him as he whimpered and clutched his hand to his chest. The children were close now, their eyes still fixed on me. There was only one thing I could do. I put the flute to my lips and blew, playing a little tune that sounded like I'd been practicing it for years, although I'd never played the flute in my life. The children slowed, their eyes going blank as the notes floated to their ears. I played for two minutes, knowing that it would give me 10 minutes of control over them. While I was playing, Dr. Lindsay got up off the ground and limped off into the woods. When I was done playing, I lowered the flute. The children looked at me expectantly. I thought about Slatten. He was a good man, and now he was dead because of Lindsay. It didn't take me long to make my decision. Get him, I said to the children, pointing at Dr. Lindsay. Their eyes changed, their lips curling up in snarls, and they ran after the doctor that had been enslaving them. There were eight children in total, and they attacked with all the ferocity of a pack of hungry street dogs. They gouged his eyes out and ripped his ears off as he screamed for them to stop. Their little muscles popped and bulged as they tore the man apart, ripping his limbs off in a kind of instinctive teamwork that intimated the power that lies within humans even at a young age. When Lindsay could scream no more, they kept it up, tearing out his insides and throwing them around like so many unattractive toys. At first, I watched this spectacle with glee, but it didn't last long. I grew sick to my stomach and averted my gaze, looking down at the flute in my hand. Stop, I said to the children. They all stopped at once. They looked up at me, waiting for another command. I threw the flute down among them. Destroy it, I said, pointing at the instrument. They did. They tore it apart so no one could ever use it on them or anyone else again. I knew I would be reprimanded for not retrieving the object, but I didn't care. After years of working for the SCP Foundation, I finally had an opportunity to make sure one of the dangerous objects was never used again. So I took it, and I don't regret a thing. 
SCP-573 is a flute made from bone. DNA and carbon testing reveal the material to be human, female, and approximately a thousand years old. The bone is a femur and, judging by its size, comes from a child between the ages of seven and 12. Testing of SCP-573 has revealed that, when played, it places animals and prepubescent children into a highly receptive state. All creatures so affected are eager and willing to do whatever the player requests, including things that are beyond them when in a non-trance state. Once the instrument is played, subjects remain in the trance state for five times the period the flute was played for. For one minute of playing, the subjects will be in a trance for five minutes. Knowledge of how to play the flute is not needed to use SCP-573. Anyone attempting to use the flute will find themselves able to play the flute as if they had been playing for years and can play any song they desire.